This Week in Wealth is powered by Alpha Wealth Group. If you're serious about retirement and have saved $250,000 or more, call Alpha Wealth Group's Tom Fortino now, 630-934-1855 or alphawealthgroup.com. Alpha Wealth Group, retirement made simple. Hey, good morning, Chicago. Welcome back to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink, WGN talk show host and CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company. And I'm Tom Fortino. I'm the principal and founder of the Alpha Wealth Group. We're a wealth management firm. We do everything from portfolio management, tax planning, income planning, and uh, and what I like to call complete retirement planning. Mm, which is good, because if you're going to retire, you want it to be complete. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if you want to talk with us and you know ask a question, boy, we've got a show that is packed with answers to last week's questions. So a whole bunch of you texted us after the show was over, so we're sorry we couldn't get to those, but uh, we've got them for you today. And if you want to ask us a question, call 630-934-1855. You can also text us, 630-934-1855. And if you want to talk to Tom, you can leave that on the text line or just go to alphawealthgroup.com where he will be more than happy to do a free review of your portfolio. And that was one of the questions that came up, and we'll talk a Mm -hmm. little bit more about that coming up. So let's dig in, Tom. You know, this... uh this whole banking mess doesn't yeah. <laughs> doesn't really seem to be going away, does it? No, it doesn't. I guess mess is a good term because there's just this, I guess we don't know. I mean, there's uncertainty, certainly, with the banking system um, and we see these banks. But, you know, I think it deserves, I guess, some explanation of what's going on. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. You know, whether we talk about, well, interest rates went up very uh, dramatically. In fact, the fastest pace or the highest increase in the shortest amount of time. How does that, well, what does that have to do with the banking system? And we look at all of these things of why is this happening, I guess, is maybe the big question. I don't know if that would be your take on it, Elise. Well, I think um, it's it's part of it. And, you know, I, just to recap for everybody who's just getting their head out of the sand and tuning us in this morning, maybe you've been on spring break, you know, we've we saw... Uh, Silicon Valley Bank collapse. We saw Signature mm-hmm. Bank collapse a week or two before. And then we saw the takeover at Credit Suisse. Then there was a run on First Republic. Mm-hmm. And then we had all, and we talked about this last week, we had a whole bunch of the really big banks deposit $30 billion into First Republic. They didn't mm-hmm. buy shares, notably, of the company, but they did deposit some money there. And then the Fed opened up this new window where... Banks, instead of, you know, I don't know, selling assets at a loss, which is one of the things that triggered the Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. Bank collapse, instead of doing that, you could just borrow more money from the Fed, you know, at the overnight rate, blah, blah, blah. But then I saw this study this week that economists from Columbia, Stanford, Northwestern Kellogg, and University of Southern California, they all got together, and they actually concluded that the risk to the banking industry is high enough that you can start to understand why the Fed took action. And and here are some of the things they discovered in doing their research. 10% of banks have larger unrecognized losses than those at Silicon Valley Bank. And an unrecognized loss is when they hold, they're talking about holding treasuries, and the treasuries Mm -hmm. have gone down in value because interest rates, to your point, have skyrocketed. And they haven't recognized those losses in something called mark-to-market. And you explained that very nicely last week. 
Um, 10% of banks also have lower capitalization rates than Silicon Valley Bank. 90% of accounts at Silicon Valley Bank had funds above 250000 per account and were uninsured. And what this study found is that even if only half of uninsured depositors decide to withdraw, 190 banks are a potential risk mm-hmm. of impairment. Basically, there's $300 billion of insured deposits at risk. And I thought, you know, 190 banks, it's its 10%, so there's 1,900 roughly banks out there. Um, but this could really cause a serious problem because these regional banks, the smaller banks, this is what people often go to for car mm-hmm. loans, for mortgages. Yeah. If you move all that to, like, say, J.P. Morgan Chase, good for J.P. Morgan Chase, but bad for maybe other places, right? Well, I think that what we need to understand here, kind of to simplify this, which I'm a big fan of, we have to understand the banking system. What I mean by that is it's a fractional reserve system. So there is, I, I always pause when I say there is no bank or all things, but basically the banks aren't sitting there on all their cash. It goes out in loans. It's invested in treasuries. So if there was a run on almost any bank on the planet, they just don't have the cash and it's not designed that way. So we have faith that, you know, the money, there's this whole uh, movement of money, right? So um, that's why there's these capital requirements. How much liquidity are you going to keep on hand? You know, they need to make money. They are a business. So they take your money, they loan it out. They take your money and they invest some of it. So again, it's, it's, we have to take kind of pause and understand, well, why is this happening? Well, there's no bank that can give you 100% back to its depositors. It just doesn't work that way. So that's why, yeah, when they can't do that, it doesn't mean they're 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 not doing their business properly or they're in a bad bank, so to speak. Maybe not the best term. That's just not the way it's set up. Because again, this is how the banking system works. Now there are some when we look at the Silicon Valley banks, we look at Signature. That was poor management. It was risks that they shouldn't have taken. Um, and so those ones are going to be problematic. And it is a problem when you have money there. So. The Fed is there to backstop some of these things. Again, how much do they backstop? How much do they come in? That's a big question. But I just wanted to be kind of clear on this banking system. Some things have exacerbated this. You know, obviously there's loan risk when loans go bad. The other thing is, so you've got loan risk, the loans that you have out. The other thing is when you're putting money into treasuries, which are a safe, safe investment, and you bought all of these treasuries when interest rates were practically at zero, this is this mark to market. This is these unrealized losses. Now that rates have gone up dramatically from zero to four or five percent, you're holding on to securities that are worth less because they're paying much less. This is kind of a lot of this. Unfortunately, the Fed, I think, kind of exacerbated this problem. It doesn't mean that the, I just want to be clear. It doesn't mean all these banks are insolvent and they're going to collapse. Just I just want to provide right. some clarity to this. And, and uh, just to further that point, if all these banks held their treasuries to maturity, meaning 30 mm-hmm. years, they don't they don't do anything. They don't sell them. They don't have to mark right. them down or whatever. They just keep holding them. It's Correct. as if it was five years ago, right? It, or whenever it was that mm-hmm. they bought it. It doesn't mean you anything different. Back. Yeah. Yep. And just like you at home, you know, you're listening to us and you're thinking, oh, I have treasuries at 2%. Okay. So technically, if you tried to get out of them now, you'd take a loss. But mm-hmm. if you just hold on to them, you'll keep getting your 2% compounded, you know, until they mm-hmm. mature. So there's nothing right. really there's nothing really wrong with that. Now, no. 
our first question, we're going to have to, I'm going to ask it and then we're going to go to a break <laughs> and then we're going to come back and you're going to answer it. Um, so somebody texted in and said, I was told that if you have your funds in a trust, each beneficiary is covered for the 250000 So if you had, let's say, a million dollars in that account with four beneficiaries, you would be covered uh, because there's four beneficiary social security numbers attached to it. So when we come back, Tom, you've got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a, a minute or two to think about this answer. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you have to think about it at all. But we're <laughs> going to take a short break. We'll come back. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink here with Tom Fortino of the Alpha Wealth Group. You can ask us a question, text us a question, 630-934-1855, or you can go to alphawealthgroup.com, and you can sign up, and Tom will do a free review of your portfolio if you like. Uh, we had a couple of requests for that this week as well. But let me get back to the question I asked you just before we left. So there always are some questions about how much is actually covered by the FDIC when they're not in the, mo- the mood to uh, cover everything even up to $500 million per account. Um, so right now the limit is 250000 And the question came in that I, if you have your funds in a trust, mm-hmm. uh, is each beneficiary if of the trust covered to the 250,000 level. So for example, if you have a million dollars in the account, you have four beneficiaries, each one is covered for 250,000. Mm-hmm. Is that how that works? Well, I could give you the short answer and I guess <laughs> <laughs> short is good, but a little explanation might be a good. A little too. explanation behind it. When we're talking about a trust and I'm assuming we're talking about the typical revocable trust, standard trust that most people have uh, and you have beneficiary designations on it. First of all, um, you know, when you have a trust and you're still living, you have what's called full incidence of ownership. It's the tax ID number of the trust is your social security number. It's all your money. You control it. Now, while you may have beneficiaries on it, and we've talked about this before, at least I'm a big fan of a trust. I go back to the attorneys that I work. We have attorneys we work now, but the attorney I worked with years ago, you say, if you have a bank account and a home, you should have a trust. So that aside, um, when you have beneficiaries to this trust, Again, they have no ownership, none, until um, you pass away, and mm-hmm. then they um, then the money is given to them. So the answer I'm giving a longer winded answer. The answer, unfortunately, is no. Um, the beneficiaries do not; they have no ownership technically in those assets, even though they, at some point they will receive them. So that was bad <clears throat> advice that our caller uh, was given, and I'm so sorry about that. You know, do you have a solution for that situation? I know some banks do. So, for example, Wintrust has, and they're, you know, a big regional bank here in Chicago, uh, Wintrust has a, a solution because they have so many different banks that they can spread out, let's say, your million dollars over four banks, 250 mm-hmm. per bank per social security number. Sure. Um, it, you know, what's, is that the solution or how do you solve for that in your, in, for your clients? Well, part of it is that certainly if you want to try to, like you said, per account, per bank, per social security number. I mean, in this example, again, unless you want to give up ownership, which I wouldn't, again, I don't know the whole situation, but, um, you know, you can do irrevocable trusts. I wouldn't recommend that. Then it has its own tax ID number and you can set aside that money uh, outside of your estate. But, you know, that really isn't, a, you know, again, it could be done. Um, you could set up separate trusts for each child um, outside of your own trust, but now it gets a little convoluted. But other than that, and other than trying to do some things, when, it, when it's going to a, uh, a child and it's money that you still control and own, 
it's kind of hard to, um, other than what you said, at least, if you want to kind of spread it out and put individual beneficiaries, which, again, is problematic on some levels, on each different account, you can do that. Yeah, I think it's something that you really want to talk to somebody like you about, right? Because there's usually, when you've got a situation like that, you've got trust, you've got four you know, beneficiaries, you've got more than a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> like There's complications usually in the rest of it as well. So, um, yeah. To our caller, uh, feel free to give Tom a call, 630-934-1855, and he can go a little deeper for you, or go to alphawealthgroup.com. All right, another question uh, that came in, uh, we use Edward Jones for investing. Does Tom advise a tax-sensitive investing with 401k, recommend a Roth, or other annuities to build safe, SAFE, which was actually capitalized, tax-wise retirement? And how do we get a free evaluation of our portfolio? <laughs> so uh, I don't know how you want to tackle that one. What do they mean by safe tax-wise? Do you know what that means? Well, I mean, they could be referring to two different things there. Taxes and is is maybe different, I, different from safety or principal protection, right? Because mm-hmm. there are annuities out there that give you complete principal protection, right? Um, they're indexed annuities. You can't, the market, they cannot go down uh, when the market goes down, but they participate in the upside of the market. So you can get upside growth, potential growth with no downside risk. That is a true statement. Those do exist. So that's um, a way you can do that. Now, if you want to complement those or include the idea of having Roths versus pre-tax or traditional, you know, I always give the example of, um, and I'm a big proponent, by the way, so let me say this, of tax, I do what I like to call forward tax planning. So if you're putting money, there's Roth IRAs, there's Roth 401ks. In fact, I have a report, which is seven ideas to getting to tax-free. Anybody who wants it will get it out to you. But I'll mention just a couple. You know, you're going to put money in a Roth versus a pre-tax, whether it's a 401k or an IRA. My question to you is, you can put the money in the pre-tax. You won't pay tax on it today. It won't go on your W-2 or your income. You will pay tax on that contribution down the road. You will pay tax on all the growth. It will be a required distribution. It will tax your Social Security, and it goes to your spouse and children, and they pay tax on it. Or you can pay that tax bill today. You will not pay tax on it, that contribution ever again. It will grow tax-free the rest of your life. There's no required minimum distributions, and it doesn't tax your Social Security. Which one do you want to do? So yeah. uh, that's why I'm a fan of Ross. You, you, you know, there's more to it than that, but I just want to be clear. It's the pay on the seed, not on the harvest. So I think more of us should incorporate these tax-free ideas into our planning. So on the back end, we keep more of our money, and Uncle Sam is a smaller partner in our retirement. Yeah, I think that that's um, worth thinking about a little mm-hmm. bit more carefully because it doesn't matter. First of all, I, it doesn't matter that this caller uses Edward Jones or somebody uses Fidelity or somebody uses right. Vanguard, mm-hmm. right? Those are just holding tanks. And yep. they all have uh, you know a similar basket of exchange-traded funds. Uh, mutual funds that that they invest in, you know. So there's lots of and and obviously a plain brokerage account where you can just buy individual stocks. There's all that kind of stuff exists. They also have money market accounts. Um, so I, I think you should have to set aside. We use the we use the Edward Jones thing because there's in my mind, unless there is somebody at Edward Jones who you love, who is really smart, who has made your portfolio jump in value. Like it does to my mind. It doesn't really matter. Does it matter to you, Tom? I know. I agree. It's really who are you working with? How are they helping you? Whether, as you said, it's Fidelity, it's uh, Vanguard, it's Edward Jones, Charles Schwab, Lynch, whatever. But hopefully, you're getting this advice, and it's complementing. You know, this is what, like we talked. I mentioned the comment being complete. 
what is your tax plan and what are you doing to try to minimize taxes as part of your overall plan? And is, are you doing anything there? And there's just opportunities. By the way, real quick, you have until April 18th to do a Roth IRA contribution <laughs> for last year. I'm just letting you know the deadline's coming up. So if you want, didn't do one for 2022, yeah, if you're over age 50, you can do 7000 per person and get that in. Otherwise, you'll miss that opportunity. All right, we're going to come back in just a moment, dig a little bit into that. We've got a couple of more questions. Uh, Stay tuned. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the second half of This Week in Wealth. If you're just joining us, I'm Elise Kling, CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company. And I'm here with Tom Fortino, the founder and principal of Alpha Wealth Group. They provide complete retirement services, as we're talking about today. (laughs) If you've got a question for us, you want to text us, you want to ask Tom a question, have him do a free review of your portfolio, 630-934-1855, or you can go to alphawealthgroup.com. There's a ton, a ton of great information on the website, and I encourage you to check it out. It's really good stuff. All right, so Tom, as we left uh, the last half hour, uh, we started mm-hmm. talking about um, different, uh, you know, kinds of accounts in different mm-hmm. places, and that brought me to uh, mm-hmm. what actually was another question: What is the level of protection offered by SIPC, and what the heck is that, and how does that differ <laughs> from FDIC? Because I think. It was a great question, actually. People are starting to look at places like their uh, Edward Jones account or their Fidelity account sure. or their Charles Schwab account and going, hey, is any of this money protected? No, I think, you know, it's a good idea to have uh, to be informed and understand. Um, when we look at the SIPC, Securities Investors Protection Corporation, it is a nonprofit corporation. It is funded by, you know, these firms. And it really... The protection is two hundred, I think, five hundred thousand total, up to two hundred fifty in cash. It really only protects what we call the custody function. It doesn't have any protection decline in values. If you own stock, if you own accounts, they go down, and because of the market, there's zero protection on that standpoint as far as someone, you know, wherever it's invested, to say, hey, we'll make you whole. So it's just, you know, and so. I don't let's just, well, admit, well, let's say what custody protection is, because I think people don't really understand what that means. Well, it's where it's held. So, for example, if it's held at some brokerage firm and that brokerage firm starts liquidating or something happens and there's funds that are impacted because of that, this is very rare. Again, I don't want to minimize it. But technically, if you own stocks, if you own you own the stocks in the company, it has nothing to do with the brokerage firm. But if somehow there that that impacts your accounts, I you know I, I mean I don't know if it could be fraud, it could be some other issues where it impacts the cash accounts, or if they have some impact on that. It's not that often that it happens, but there is SIPC protection in that event. In most cases, most investors that are at Fidelity, Schwab, TD, wherever they are at, the money is held. If that brokerage firm goes out of business or something happens, the stocks are held. Typically, a trustee will come in and take over those accounts. The stocks don't go away. So just kind of to be clear, it's it's not there's not a, a large level of risk if you're at these large companies that are very solid and, and again, doesn't impact uh, your what your holdings are. All right. So let's there was, though, an, something that happened years ago. Mm-hmm. I think it was in the Great Recession where... The money market account fell below, which mm-hmm. was a, per, I want to say it was premium fund. I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of the, 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, I do. Yeah, it broke the dollar broke and exactly the right, and, right, and and then people did lose some money, but that also wasn't covered by SIPC, right? Right. Okay, so, so yeah. different things. FDIC is banks. SIPC, uh, private, not pro- not for profit that works with. Um, like the investment houses. Yeah, broker-dealers. and so Broker-dealers versus FDIC, which is banks. Correct. Okay, next question. Um, all right, can I contribute to my grandchildren's 529 accounts and use that as a tax deduction, and how much can I contribute this year, and can I still give them birthday gifts? <laughs> That was three I, or four questions all in one, Elise. I just want you to be aware that you I, said I'm just I have a telling question. you what people send in, Tom. You know, people are texting I mean, yeah. us and they want to know the answers. I mean, you're coming at me from all directions here. Taxes, five twenty nines, trusts. I don't know. Anyway. You know what? It's interesting that our our listeners are very aware and they're thinking it's about great. all these things. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, do you, do you how do you feel about this question? <laughs> well, the short answer, the no. Um, we can talk again about 529s. I mean, to understand, first of all, if you want a tax deduction, you will not get a federal deduction uh, on the tax returns. You can get a state deduction if you contribute to the one that's run by the state. Bright Start is the 529 plan, which is a good plan. It's fine. Um, you can get up to $10,000 uh, per person, 20000 per couple. So, for example, if you put $10,000 into a Bright Start plan for a 529, we can do the math, you know, to four point, just let's just say 5% tax, uh, income tax to make it simple, and you put in $10,000, okay, you know, you can deduct that 500 bucks from your, right, it's a tax deductible mm-hmm. contribution right. up to 20000 like I said, per couple. Um, now, the the potential issue here, and by the well, we'll get back to the contribution. So let me answer this: if it is not your child, if you, it's not a dependent, you cannot take that deduction, right? I mean, that's kind of the the, the deal with that. So okay, so they have to come mm-hmm. off your tax return as a dependent. They have to be listed on it; otherwise, it doesn't count as a deduction. Otherwise, it's I'm you know I'm pretty confident in that answer. I would you know we can check with the CPA or you might want to ask your accountant, but that's pretty clear that it needs to be a dependent, someone that you're you're contributing right. to. All right. And so what is the amount that you can give somebody as a gift this year? Because did it go up again? It did. It's $17,000 per person per year. And, and wow. we've talked about this before. Yeah. You know, the 529 has this uh, five-year averaging gift, um, the five-year gift tax average. So they allow, they will allow, even though the gift tax is limited to 17000 they'll allow you to do a five-year lump sum into a 529. So 17000 times five. That's eighty five thousand you could do um, and still be okay from a gift tax. Do it all in one year, um, so which is amazing, amazing mm-hmm. uh, you know thing to be able to do if you can yeah. do it and do it for each child. That's great. Um, and just as a thought, depending on your income and how it all plays out, you can still pay the tuition on top of that directly to the school. Not the, apparently not the room and board, but you can still pay tuition on top of that down the line mm-hmm. for somebody. So that's another way to help them. <clears throat> can you still give birthday gifts? I, if you're giving the 17000 technically the answer is no. Right, Tom? I mean, cash birthday gifts. You can still go buy something, I suppose, and well, sure. give it to them. Uh, nobody's going to come check on you, but you can't write another... Not. You can't write another check for $500 <laughs> and go, happy birthday, grandchild. <laughs> Right, yeah, I mean, on top of the 17000 technically, technically. We I can guess. only give technically correct advice on the show. <laughs> we would not want to be accused of, of you know, encouraging true. anybody to break any yes. tax laws. 
Yeah, technically, yes, but I'm not, uh, you know. I mean, uh, if you just happen to stuff, you know, a couple hundred bucks into an envelope and just happen to hand it over, I'm sure nobody's going to check. Yeah. Your your grandchild comes over, you hand him 20 bucks, and all of a sudden the cuffs are on you. I don't know if that's going to happen. That's definitely not going to happen. So, Okay. Uh, We've got, I think, another question. Um, 630-934-1855. If you want to text us your questions, call us, call Tom, email. AlphaWealthGroup.com would be the place to do that. Um, you know, we would love to hear from you, and Tom is happy to talk through any problems that you're having on a one-to-one basis. Um, when we come back, I, we have got, believe it or not, Tom, another Social Security question. <laughs> okay. We, you know, it's interesting how many people are really, you know, they're really concerned about all of this, and I don't blame you no, one great, one bit. So we're going to talk about that. We'll wrap up a few other things. Stay tuned. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink, here with Tom Fortino of the Alpha Wealth Group. We're doing questions today, your questions, our answers, mostly Tom's answers. Uh, You can ask us a question or text us a question, 630-934-1855, or you can leave us one at alphawealthgroup.com. Take advantage of all the cool stuff Tom's got on his website as well while you're there. All right, Tom. Uh, last question of the day. I am mm-hmm. 73 and collect Social Security. I got a part-time job and only make $7,800 a year. My employer deducts Social Security and Medicare for my check. In essence, I am paying double for Medicare, which is mm-hmm. already being deducted from Social Security. I feel this is wrong. What mm-hmm. do you think? Well, I agree. It seems to be wrong, too. But, <laughs> I mean, I can't disagree with that. It's It's, you know... The thing is, when you have earned income, right, you have wages, you're, there is a Social Security and Medicare tax. Um, I don't know if she's 1099 or W-2 or she's paying most of it. It's self-employment, but the employer's paying part of it. You know, But effectively, your share, at a minimum, if your employer is paying it, is going to be you know, roughly seven, a little over 7%, maybe 7.4, 7.5% of your pay. Yeah, it goes to these things, Social Security and Medicare, again, because you have earned income. It doesn't stop. Right. I know the last year you can take Social Security. I'm sorry, the last year your Social Security grows, and the, the longest anyone will delay it is 70. But if you're working after 70, yes, you will keep contributing to Social Security after age 70, even though that's the last year um, that it will grow by that delayed retirement credit. I mean, I, I don't know how much to add to that. I mean, it's unfortunate, but... Well, why do, why do you think, um, why does she feel it's wrong? Why do you think it's wrong? I mean, if you're, if you're earning money, shouldn't you go to support the whole system? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know at what point is it's, you should say, I've, I've contributed Social Security enough, I am now taking my contributions or my benefit, can we stop contributing? Here's hmm. the reason why, too, because technically, really, her benefit is not going to go up. It just isn't. Right. Because the way they do your average index monthly earnings, this just gets so. But the point is, (laughs) unless you're making a much higher salary than you were in previous years, Mm -hmm. you know, that last year drops off and then you have higher income that can be added to the Social Security benefit. Yep. The benefit in in this case is not going to go up, but yet you're putting more money in. So that's a little tough to swallow. I get it. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. I I, wish, I don't you know, know. I wish I had an answer that was better than that, but that's this this is it. You yeah. Know, well, this is this is it, right? <laughs> so then the answer is uh maybe you shelter some of that, right? You put although she probably needs the job, but if you put it into the comp- the employer's uh I'm trying to think of ways 
that would reduce that. I mean, if you put yeah. it in, into... I mean, technically, even at 73, you can contribute to IRAs or if they have a 401k plan, you can contribute every penny. You would show no income if you chose to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you're right. You could contribute to a, um, you, you can still contribute. The laws have changed that you can now contribute at any age to IRAs or Roth IRAs. Right. If you have well, income. I think it's a good thing that this person is working. I, I just think if you if you are working, well, I guess if you're working because you can't afford it, that's one thing. But if you're working in your 70s, just to stay mentally aware and you feel good and it makes you feel like you're contributing, I think that's terrific. And, and in fact, one of our employees at Best Money Moves came out of retirement mm-hmm. to head up sales for us and he's having a ball. He goes, how much yeah. golf could I play? He's like, that was, <laughs> he's like, that was, that was great for like the first two months and then... <laughs> yeah. I think my father-in-law would say, I, uh, there's, I can keep playing. I don't know that if he ever quite... Yeah. An unlimited number amount of <laughs> yeah. golf that you can play. Well, I, you know, that brings up sort of something that I, I'm sure that uh, you know, our listeners are always thinking about, which is, you know, you make these plans, and we've talked about, you mm-hmm. know, making plans for retirement, you know, forever on the show. Um, but, you know, what happens when something changes, right? You, mm-hmm. I, I, and I thought about this the other day because I was reading about yet another person in their 20s who got like stage four, some sort of cancer. Yeah, I saw that. And I thought, oh my gosh, my heart breaks for that person. You know, they had different plans for their life, I'm sure. And, you know, instead it's going to be cut short. But even when you're in your 60s, you know, maybe it's the person who was the primary breadwinner. They, uh, you know, everybody, the family is going to depend on having Mm -hmm. that social security plus, you know, half of it for the spouse, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Because maybe that's more than what they would get. And then that person dies or mm-hmm. that person becomes incapacitated or they can't work as long or they get fired in their mm-hmm. 50s and they can't find a comparable job. Or even in your in retirement and something happens. Like, how do you think about that with your clients, Tom? Because, gosh, things are just so, yeah. so nerve wracking out there right now. Well, you know, this is one of those five pieces. You know, I have that report, the five pillars. But one of them is, besides the taxes, which you talked about, the income, the investments, asset protection. That's that proverbial moat around the castle. You know, the asset protect, you're an asset. You mentioned it. What happens if you pass away? Well, how do you replace income? What happens if there's a long-term illness? How do you protect against that? And these are not fun things, but I include that as one of those building blocks to your plan. And so the answer may be, at least let's understand first, let's start. Hey, do we have a life insurance policy that says, hey, God forbid something happens to me, I'm protecting my spouse, my family, you know, or there's things that you can put in place to protect if in the event these unforeseen things happen. And that's really what it's about. It's reviewing your plan to say, what do I have in place? What should I have in place? And I think um, all too often these things are, these are sometimes I say these are problems that are asleep. And it is, it's heartbreaking when something happens to someone and they don't, you know, there's no options at that point. So that's something I would tell people to take a look at. That's what I'm going to call the asset protection piece of your plan. Yeah, I think that's uh, really interesting and important. And it's something that I think about, you know, with uh, my husband reached 62 this year and, um, you know, obviously still working. And as he says, I no plans to retire anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you think about you know, what would happen, you know, in that case, right, where maybe he suddenly wasn't able to work those extra eight years or seven years that he was planning on it. 
and we need to do something sooner rather than later, you know, with our retirement income. And I think people, you know, it's hard to think that way, isn't it, Tom? I mean, how do you help people look at worst case uh, scenario? Well, that's the part of it. It is, and it isn't the fun part of, hey, what stocks am I going to buy? What's going to, you know, but like you said, it's kind of what I call the what ifs. What happens? And I pose the question, what happens if there is an incapacitation or a disability? Well, you know, for those of you that are working, sometimes you have a disability policy. Sometimes if you're self-employed, you can buy that. It protects you. Will you ever use it? Hopefully never. You know, mm-hmm. um, again, to a lot of individuals, when I talk to them, I'll say, well, what's your life insurance coverage? I'm really not sure. Well, I think I have something at my employer. It's like, okay, well, you know, again, we don't give a lot of thought, I think, in most cases to these things. Again, I'm an I'm a, I'm a advocate of buying your own policy because if you leave your employer, that policy may go away. And now you, now you have to maybe get it at a higher rate or you're uninsurable. These are things where, again, if you lay it out, here's what we need to think about. Let's really look at these things, that, like I could say, the what ifs, and then how do we try to protect ourselves and our family? Yeah, I, I think that's sort of interesting. And I, you know, kudos to anybody who wants to keep working. I, my mother's mm-hmm. registered investment advisor, I think, is in his late 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. His mom recently passed away at like 105. <laughs> so he's fully well, anticipating yeah. being around running my mother's <laughs> money for a while. Um, but, you know, not everybody is, is that lucky to have the full use of their faculties, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mental faculties. And sure. th- things can change, uh, you know, on a dime. And we like to, Sam and I like look around at all of our relatives who are in their 80s, and it's like, oh, gosh, the 80s are one of those. It's a tough decade. <laughs> it's a really, really tough decade. Yeah. Um, we just have a few minutes left, and I want to just, <clears throat> you know, ask a, a, just a, well, I don't know if we even have time to do this. So maybe next week we'll do this. But um I want to talk again about long-term care insurance because the state of California's CalPERS fund, which is mm-hmm. their big teacher pension fund, just had to pay a huge $100 million, I think, plus uh, fine because they told everybody that they weren't going to raise the cost of their long-term care insurance, and then they did. Um, and, I, and I know that long-term care insurance is something that you're a big fan of uh, in a lot of ways, and I think about it too. And I, Maybe next week we talk more deeply about some of those options because Mm -hmm. as people are aging they're certainly not prepared for the i think baby boomers in general but everybody not prepared for the actual cost of Mm -hmm. the kind of help that people in their 80s actually need uh, which i'm experiencing firsthand because my mother is now uh has some help help in the house mm-hmm. um but anyway next week do you think we should um how about if we do that we talk start talking yeah. about long-term care insurance and how people can evaluate that risk i think it'd be good for our listeners and personally good for me yes <laughs> <laughs> i think it's always good to inform people so they can make good decisions for themselves and their I, family i think i'm going to call your line 630-934-1855 uh, i may even go to alphawealthgroup.com and ask tom a question um Folks, we are out of time as usual, but thank you so much for listening to us. You can always find the podcast at WGNRadio.com. Be sure to go there and share this with all your friends. Tom, thank you so much. It's always, as always, a a pleasure. Uh, Yes, as always. Thank you, Liz. All right. Stay tuned. You're listening to 720 WGN. 
Tom Fortino is an investment advisor representative of Retirement Wealth Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Advisor. Alpha Wealth Group, WGN, and RWA are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals specialized in fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company and are not offered by retirement wealth advisors. Insurance and annuities offered through Alpha Wealth Group, licensed in Illinois. Tom Fortino and Alpha Wealth Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency.